whatever we make, think, or create are a reflection of whatever is inside. So if we take of whatever is inside, whatever we may create, make, put into the world will reflect that inside. So we have to take care of that. And taking care of that may mean different things, but we have to listen. In some ways, do the opposite of what the narcissist is doing, which is falling deeply in love with the self, but no, in the sense of actually caring for the self. And, and that care, um, I think it's something we have to nurture. It takes time to put. Who you consider yourself to be and uh, what brings you here? Who do I consider? <laughs> I think it's a question we could go at length um, <laughs> on, but I think a, a good summary would be very much a curious and frantic mind, um, as in I kind of latch on any kind of idea and try my best to uh, explore it through reading or searching. Um, and kind of like the fact that as you unravel one idea, it just gives you access to so much more. Um, so over the past couple of years, I've been at, I think I would describe myself as a, an ignorant, but also willing uh, individual uh, to, to grow and learn, especially on the intellectual uh, uh, sphere. A quick summary, Yeah, uh, you mentioned, you said ignorant. That sounds very, it sounds like a very honest reflection and it sounds like a very thoughtful one as well because um, I think generally speaking, there's a lot of ideas that we probably have that are based in reason but are also unreasonable or maybe like ignorant, like you said. So like what specifically, why did you specifically did you say those specific words? I'm quite interested to, to know about that. Um, why did I, hmm, I think as I've reflected on my um, evolution coming from um, a very religious background for my family, I kind of had to go through the, I would say, intellectual infancy of trying to like really get the basics uh, right. I kind of tried my best to really be more rigorous because of what I deem um, Truth even, it's probably still more abstract, but um, in a sense, I'm trying my best to, to apply myself in this, in this path towards more knowledge. In as much as I could get, maybe I will obtain 0.001% of all the potential uh, things that I could know. But I think because I'm comfortable with the fact that I, will, I am ignorant, I will remain ignorant in certain things, I'm still willing to learn. I think those two things allow me to keep myself in check, but also still finds me to, to learn more and engage more, whether it be in conversation uh, with people like you, or even conversation with minds of the past through reading. So I think I, 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 I try my best to stay on that, on that level um, as much as I can. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Um, I was quite interested to maybe get a bit to know about your story um, and as much detail as you'd like to provide um, because you mentioned you come from a religious background and with Shashan and I um, meeting in India and coming from India we both have been around in a very culturally diverse and religious uh, people and so I'd, I'd love to know uh, more about that in particular and maybe how that relates to 
um, the bigger picture of like imperfect creations and technology and things of that sort? Oh, sure. Um, I think quite uh, review of what my history has been up until today. Um, was born in Ivory Coast, uh, a country kind of like calling itself secular. It's pretty much a religious in disguise, uh, split between Christian and Muslim uh, people, uh, born in a Methodist, I think. Yeah, a Methodist um, uh, denomination. So religious religion was important, but it wasn't like throw down the, the throats of everyone. So there was some leniencies. Um, and so as I grew up, I kind of kind of like was between the very kind of like funda uh, fundamentalist approach up to a very much like, eh, I don't know, okay. Um, but I think that the kind of like undoing of all of this happened as I went uh, outside of my home to go study abroad. Uh, I studied in South Africa in the uh, school called African Leadership Academy, um, whose, whose mission is to um, educate young Africans to go do great things in terms of improving the living conditions of the country they come from. So it's really kind of a, I would call it noble mission uh, in as much as it's somewhat impossible, but they're still trying to make it happen. Um, so when I went there, I think the fact that I was coming in contact with so many different people coming from so many different places, but also had the opportunity to kind of um, go outside my uh, intellectual bubble uh, in as much as I was what I could say somewhat educated in, for my country. When I went there, it was a completely different uh, uh, playground. And also because the language was different, it was coming from a French system to an uh, English system. So all of those changes, I think, were conducive to me being able to move from a certain, what I would call, like, again, base level to more of the intellectual infancy I, I mentioned earlier. Uh, so when um, I'm really trying to think about and as, I think all I can do is project, but think about the future and think about how things will evolve, especially with regards to technology. I think we're not, in as much as we're doing some great things and we're putting in some action and the research is happening, I think we're not doing the thought process of trying to actually understand what those things are in essence, but also what the implication would be for ourselves and also for the future generation. I mean, all we can do is project. Uh, it, it's the future. So all we can try to do is the gamble, basically, uh, in terms of what could possibly be or, or not be. Um, so I think my trajectory now is trying my best to possibly um, participate in, in that or contribute in some way or fashion towards that uh, human progress, uh, especially in the field of big data and uh, this type of related subject, but also keeping in mind that um, whatever we'll come up with for whatever problem or solution, whatever a solution for a specific problem, we have to keep in mind that everything is conditional. I think I, I kind of struggled with the idea a bit in the past couple of days, as in whatever we come up in terms of technology creations, whatever it, it may be, it's all conditional in the sense that it's because certain things exist that we have a certain result. So it's not gonna be a forever thing. Uh, maybe we might create a machine that's able to do so much, uh, so many things, yet this machine was created in a specific condition um, uh, and by specific people who have specific intentions. So we, we also have to like grapple with the truth that um, it's all 
ephemeral. We have to be able to adapt. We have to be able to also um, know what to do when those machines may act in different ways than what was expected from them. Um, that's kind of why the entire field of uh, AI now is so fascinating because it means a machine becomes something apart from its initial setup. Um, something that we do not control, something we do not even project because our minds go as far as the, make, the, the current making of the thing. But the machine itself takes it to a different level that we have yet to explore. Um, and I'm excited, but also frightened. <laughs> it's the perfect balance being in in a state of excitement and yet the state of fear because we don't know what the what the future holds it's the unknown i think there was the it's the the matrix there's the the known knowns the known unknowns the unknown knowns and then there's the unknown unknowns and i feel like anything to do with the future is in that in that matrix where we have no clue what can happen and the implications of that um, i think this takes us to the broader question that we're maybe trying to address today, which is how do we deal with, with all the technology that you talked about? You talked about how everything's conditional, like the technologies itself, and they're built upon the conditions that they're in and how the future is exciting, but unsure. Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of uncertainty there and there's a lot of imperfections in the technology that we have just because of our, the natural limitations that we live in, just because we're at the state where we wanna be further, but we're unable to go further because of our limitations. So I guess a question for all of us to address is, um, how do we deal with the imperfect creations and as they gain greater power and dependency? And I think this is something that Shashwood um, brought my, to my attention that you were very interested in. So I suppose we can we can start with something along those lines. How do we deal with um, imperfect technologies or imperfect um, innovations or creations? And, and in your eyes, what do you think? I mean, first, before even asking that question, um, whoever engaged into the process of making this technology, whether it be from the person who came up with the idea to the mm. manufacturer. Um, we, we tend to approach this as our, we don't even think of it as imperfect because we think we're calculating everything. We think we're, we're putting everything in such motion that that thing would do exactly as it's intended to do. Um, so, so, so the very question of imperfection uh, really even comes up when we come up with those things. Um, and we don't even consider what is imperfection will uh, mean down the line. Um, but if we were to even be serious about the question of imperfection in whatever we're, we're making, um, it can be as immaterial as software or more concrete as maybe a, like the autonomous car. Um, I think it comes back to the question also of imperfection into ourselves uh, because those missions are just reflection of what we thought would be a solution to a specific problem we identify into the world. Uh, so it, it kind of is, it comes back to the question then of the imperfection to um, uh, our own being that rather not face uh, being in, in our shortcomings in terms of um, the, the morality, for instance, I read the, the piece about how, ex what exactly it would mean in terms of justice, if for instance, in the Thomas car, we're responsible of an accident. Is it the, 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 the responsibility of the person making the, the, the car as in the manufacturer? Is it the programmer? It, those questions eventually become more and more um, into our face when those machines become actual into the, uh, become in, um, part of, of our world. And I, 
I think we may never come to a final answer, but I think starting the conversation and getting spaces like these uh, to have the, 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 the conversation going, especially in the direction we're trying not to find ultimate solution, but to get like ideas running around and allow this to be actually some kind of a, a fruitful um, a discussion about it could be a starting point. I have no idea of what it will, it will, uh, it will mean for the future, but um, I have hope in the sense that maybe I'm, I, have, I have this optimism from Steven Pinker that as, as we look at history, progress has always been that as much as that's been like this, it's always uh, been going upward. And in that regard, I also think that our, I don't know, our great minds and as much as we've been gifted by nature could come up with something that helps us deal with it in some ways or fashion. But I'm hopeful. Um, with, with as much critique I can bring to the table. I find that very interesting, Aqua, how you first had this like sort of um, pessimistic approach to, to what you were saying, and then it turned into like Steven Pinker's optimism. And um, specifically, you said spaces like these where we can discuss things and come up with new ideas. Uh, I recently read a quote from Jason Silva, where he says that though if we want to innovate, we must create spaces where ideas can have sex, where information is free flowing, where there's transparency, openness, vulnerability, so that minds can collide and create something absolutely new. And it's, it's, it's an idea of technology, right? Like you said, they are an extension of the human mind. They are what we create. And so first we build the tools and then the tools build us, right? So um, I'm quite fascinated by, by what you said, and uh, I also hope that this, this space will allow that to happen and allow those, those um, ideas to have sex and to come up with new solutions, I guess, to some of these uh, problems that technology have, right? Like, it's the double-edged sword. You first saw the dark side, but then also the bright side, right? So um, I'm, I'm interested in exploring how what are the what what do the double-edged swords of technology look like, and uh, where could it go sort of dystopian, and where could it go sort of utopian as well, and what role does that play in uh, a sort of utopia if if we were to talk about that, and aside from that, actually one more thing that comes to my mind, utopia is the idea of perfect society, right, and then we're talking about imperfect um, systems or creations that we've we've that we've brought to life, right? So how can these imperfect creations that we're speaking about uh, sort of bring a utopian society, whether you want to call it perfect or or a balance between the two? It depends on how you see it. When it comes to the, the idea itself of utopia, I've always been more skeptical when people mention it. I'm not going to lie uh, because first and foremost it's it is an ideal that we construct into our minds and try to modify whatever the world is outside to fit it so the intention is not to to adapt to whatever the world is bringing us but us to impose ourselves which has been let's be let's be honest which has been the history of human um, civilization we've been able to kind of mold whether it be from agriculture um, to, to, to farming, to, to different ways that allowed us to be more and more comfortable. So eventually utopia is probably 
I would say, has been in some ways, implicitly or explicitly, what humans have been striving for since they started actually thinking about how to build whatever they wanted to build. Um, and when it comes to technology, it's even more like present, whether it be in the arts or whether we see with like um, like some some uh, sci-fi movies or sci-fi uh, literature. It's kind of this idea that we'll get to a point where maybe we'll eradicate all diseases and we'll be immortals and we'll be all of this um, that are fit, that are constraints that nature has put um, upon us. Um, so when it comes to possibly getting those technologies and because in some way, shape or form, this technology we're bringing into the world are not just that, they become um, vessel through which we interact differently with the world. So in as much as the phone is true, it's a piece of technology, it allows you to do X, Y, and Z, it's also the mean by which maybe you can communicate with someone on the other side of the globe. So that interaction that you have with the world becomes different. It gives you new opportunities and new possibilities. In the same manner, you also have technologies that actually do the opposite, where it reduces your interaction and your engagement with the world. It puts you in that very in that bubble where it's not anymore about um, you going and exploring. And I don't like to use the word, but subjugate the environment in such a way that you actually um, get the comfort you're looking at. It also gets you into this. Um, it creates a new constraint. In as much as he, he, he alleviates some, he actually creates some others. And because every creation up until today, it's always has been the case that there always has been the pros and cons. You rarely, you rarely have seen anything that came into, uh, into being and it's been just all good or all bad. Uh, I mean, we could argue that for the nuclear, the nuclear bomb, but um, it, it, we, we have to, And in my opinion, until we get to a point where we're comfortable with this idea that the pros and the cons are something that we have to deal with, we also have to come up, we have to come in, come into line to the idea that the utopia is always going to be on paper, in as much as we can, we can get it on paper. And everything we're doing is just a copycat, as, as close as you could get. Um, it doesn't, it shouldn't discourage us. And I think it also come, it stems from the fact that we're very entrenched into the idea of a free will, even if I'm not an advocate for free will, I'm more the advocate of more willpower per se, as in you, you do have will, I'm not sure about the free aspect of it. Um, but because we have will to, to get to a certain utopia, so the drive itself to move ourselves from point A to point B, which is closer to the utopia, um, I think we should, we should persist to trying to minimize the degree of um, inconveniences and problematic aspects of those imperfections uh, and those creations as imperfect as they may be with time and with more insight and more with more reflections and the reflection come from the fact that we've made mistakes in the past or rather our ancestors or like uh, past people uh, made those mistakes so we're learning from them and we're building onto this i'm not sure if it's infinite we have yet to know if we, there's an end to all of it. Um, and even when people speak about climate change, I'm like, the most likely aspect is that the climate is gonna change, nature's gonna figure something out, a new species is gonna come up, we'll all be dead, but probably something else is gonna come up. So in as much as I'm, I'm not as pessimistic uh, on the end of climate change in the sense that um, it will be the end of the entire world, uh, we'll see what happens. 
because it's it's as close and as far as depending um, what you look at uh, and who you also listen to. Um, coming back to, to the topic of technology, I think there is, we need to keep in mind that we'll never get to the utopia, but also keep in mind we have the will and drive to get as close as we can to that. Um, and that should give, in some ways, fire us to do more, fire us to, to fight for more equal opportunities, fire us to, to, to get this world to be better, not just for ourselves, but for our fellow human beings. Um, it is my hope that everyone can get to that point where there is an understanding of those two things, but um, again, it's, it remains an hope. It's not a concrete reality. Hmm. Yeah, there was, well, thank you for sharing. There's a lot of interesting points there that I think we can diverge into. One of them I heard at the beginning, you were talking about artificial intelligence and ethics, um, which is an area I'm really interested in. I think, for example, um, Elon Musk, a couple of months ago, he did the, the mini uh, press conference where he was showing, he put a, a, a neural link inside a pig and he was giving a presentation and showing how you can kind of track, um, I guess, this the neuro signaling of, of a pig and how this could potentially happen to humans and what are the ethics of that but more interestingly something i think we could we could have a conversation at length about is this idea of how when we create something it is imperfect in itself because there's always a better way to do it um, whether that's with technology whether that's with um, creating a business where no matter how you apply it um, there is always an imperfect element in the creation that you make and I think this is really indicative of human nature where when we create something, we think of it as a perfect creation because in some sense, it's our ego gets involved. We think, oh, wow, this is the perfect version. I've made this. I, we have created it. This is perfect. And yet there's some irony because there's always the improvement. There's always the imperfect. And in some way, I see the idea of utopia and technology as a kind of a similar parallel where utopia is that place where we always strive towards where we always want to go to and yet we never seem to get there or get to the exact place that we've dreamt of so like for example martin luther's king's dream of you know um racial equality amongst all that dream is still in pursuit no even though we've made so much progress that idea and that pursuit is still not reached but we're still always trying to progress there and i see technology as a similar thing and so I guess a question I'm interested to hear is with technology and with everything, is true perfectionism found in the imperfect? Is the actual idea of perfectionism is that there's no, the idea of it being perfect is not possible. Maybe true perfectionism is imperfect. I'd be interested to hear what you both thought. And feel free to take your time and think. <laughs> So just to clarify, you're saying, you're asking how um, the idea of technology being perfect, does it lie in imperfections? Yeah, precisely. Yeah. And maybe like what bigger questions, like if we can reach these huge goals, maybe the, maybe the perfection is actually found in the imperfection. And we have to strive not for the complete solution, but the incomplete solution and constantly striving for progress on that front. I'm not too sure if that's too complex. If I well, well, I well, I think this idea of perfection and imperfection 
uh, will always be there as long as we are conditioned, as long we have these con our, the conditioning of our own brains and our own mind, right? So we will have this filter that kind of labels things as good or bad, perfect and imperfect, uh, utopia or dystopia, right? So these dualities that come up because of the nature of our mind. I believe that somewhere I take this whole um, Taoist perspective to this, which is precisely what you mentioned, uh, we're trying to find perfection and imperfection and imperfection in perfection. That is how things always will continue. And uh, regardless of, let's say like we look at an imperfection, we find something uh, to work on and perfect. We create that perfection, but then the nature of our mind will always see that again as some sort of imperfection. There will be that mindset that sees the glass half empty rather than half full, right? So in that way, I completely agree what uh, you both were saying, which is that the pursuit of utopia or the perfect pursuit of perfection is like the pursuit of truth with the capital T that uh, Socrates used to talk about. And I mean, all sorts of philosophies have looked into. So in that way, if we were to think about it mathematically, it's an asymptote that always coming closer and closer towards that line, that perfection, but never there. And that's how I believe technology also is. We will always have a dystopia and utopia depending on how we see it. And uh, I don't know if that answers the question, but I guess I, I, I think we can find uh, perfect, perfect technologies it, through imperfect technologies. That is just the nature of innovation, I believe. Hmm. Interesting. What about you, Aqua? And feel free to change the question up a bit if to adapt it to an answer if you had something else in mind. Um, I think the idea of perfection in my mind comes back to this to this human tendency to try to get to a unit where everything fits, where everything is coherent, as in you're one of the universe. I think the idea of the one is present both in Eastern and Western philosophy, for instance, if you get to read uh, different uh, philosophers on different ends. Um, and that is never going to go away. So the idea of perfection is kind of tied to this idea of getting to a space, uh, be it of mind, uh, a state of political affairs, a state of social condition where everything is at almost theosis, where there's no more suffering, where everything is um, solved in some ways. The great question um, of our existence is solved. But I'm quite skeptical on the idea of getting even to that because of the fact that what we think of the world, what even we get as the very basis of our ideas is, is flawed because we usually get our, um, if you take the empiricist approach, we usually get our knowledge from our sensories in terms of how you experience the world or you've been taught about certain things or you've read about certain things. So all of those accumulate. So eventually it's bits and pieces. So it's the idea itself of the whole, in the process of you conceptualizing of it, there wasn't any hole in you actually getting to that place. So to, 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 to talk about profession, and if we were to relate that technology, it comes back to, um, um, to, I would say, to maybe the resolution that maybe we may not find perfection in ourselves from a direct perfection, but we may create it. And that, that the, the fact that we think that we may create it makes it even, um, I think good and bad in the sense that it keeps us going towards 
that it keeps our drive alive in terms of moving towards that direction, but also keeps that illusion alive. Because if the illusion is still alive, we do not come to terms with the fact that the imperfection is there and we have to come, um, we have to um, resolve ourselves that it's always gonna be there. Um, and to be honest, at the current moment, I'm not really seeking perfection, whatever humans um, do. I, I, I just, at this point, I'm seeking the intention, but uh, the intention in the making and the intention in whatever comes after the making of that piece of technology. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that's present if you really look at the people who are the great innovators and uh, of this world, whether it be people making disruption, for instance, Elon Musk in the automotive industry, uh, or I can talk about many more people. Um, I think the, the, the the focus is still very much detached from this idea of actually thinking about making a product that is not just, if we want to talk in capitalist terms, making me money, but also getting to this world without creating much chaos than I found in it. Because um, that's also the, the, the problem with, uh, that I mentioned earlier with autonomous vehicle. True, it's going to allow us to, to, to get around without any driver, but it also means that the responsibility of things like accidents becomes a, a fuzzy issue because it's not anymore a person at the will. Um, and those are new philosophical answers and uh, questions that we have to struggle with. So I think it's more like we find some things, we solve them, and it creates some other problems. It's a cycle that's been repeated up until today. I'm not sure if someone's going to break it. Who knows? Uh, but it, it seems to be ongoing. Um, and I mean, I've come to terms with it. I'm, I'm not sure about other people. But I, I think getting comfortable with the fact that those imperfections are still going to be part of our existence, we still have to, to, to deal with them. And we still also have to understand that whatever we may create to try to solve this imperfection are creating other imperfections. Um, but I think those were, I'm not sure if I answered the entirety of your question, but um, those are my thoughts. I think, I think the, the good way to say it is that we were searching for the, the perfect and the imperfect answer. And I think that's how, how, <laughs> how we can keep it that. Um, I think, again, there's so many ways we can take this. I'm very interested in the ethical dimensions of artificial intelligence because ethics is something I'm studying on the side. Um, amongst other things. Something I've come across in a couple articles that I've read is that with as technology progress, and like you said, as the, the onus of responsibility gets more blurred, as technology becomes more part of our everyday life and a part of our everyday circle, uh, a, lot of, a lot of philosophers or, or uh, critics of artificial intelligence often say that they, they refer to the extreme ends of, of a hypothetical situation. For example, if there's a, if there's a Tesla car and on, it loses control and you can steer the car into a, a child or you can steer the, the car into an, into an elderly person, who do you steer it into in the worst case scenario? Or which one does, do you program the car to steer into? Uh, these sorts of questions. But what I'm quite interested is in the mundane elements of driving, which is if you're at a stoplight or something, if there is even stoplights, I don't even know if there's going to be a need for stoplights, but let's assume that there are stoplights. Um, like red, there's a red light. And for some reason, there's a malfunction and it ends up killing people. Where do we take that? Where, where, where do we assign the blame? 
And what in my estimation, I think this has to do with the programming, the programming element that comes before the manufacturing process um, or during the manufacturing process. And that is also determined by the philosophical beliefs of those engineers, the software engineers, or the those people that program those cars. Because if you have a certain ethical position and then you program that into the car, the consequences of that, that car is gonna do those certain things. Um, so I, I'm quite curious, what, what do you think of the future of artificial intelligence and technology and the ethical dimensions of those technologies? The future, the, I mean, at this point, the, the first word that comes to mind, it is bright, like the future of artificial intelligence, but it's also, it's a territory we have never explored in human history. It means that there will be a, an emergence of new um, technology in the form that we've never really come across. Like the technology that's able to learn, that's able to, in some ways, I don't think, maybe we may get to a point where that technology can think, maybe we can get to a point where that technology can sense things. Um, and it also means that we may have to reassess what exactly human rights are. Because at the, at the end of the day, those things are constructs. So if we come up with that thing we just built that happens to, in some ways, get to a certain, as close as possible to the human spirit, um, how, how, where do we place ourselves? Um, so when that car is at a junction point where they could, I mean, the car, I'm not sure if it's a day, but the car could, act in certain ways that actually could be uh, harmful to, to another human being. Um, I, I think the, the process before the car even gets on the road, which is the testing, the programming and all of it, um, is covered in bias. And I, never, I don't think, I, I don't even hope for the fact that bias is gonna get out because even in the most basic things, we're all biased. We're all, um, uh, we all have those little things that makes our point of view so different from other people. In as much as you may be as similar to another person, you're, you're always gonna have a different vantage point on whatever situation. So I'm not expecting those programmers to program it perfect. And, and maybe we can come back to the idea of perfect. Um, a, a, a completely neutral car, where the car will act in such a way that when justice will need to be made, we'll, want, we'll have more problems on our ends. Um, but I also think, that because, I will have to verify that, um, because the, the, the question of ethics when it comes to AI also comes back to the idea of ethics when it comes to human relations itself, because it means that a person created something that would be in other context of other people. Um, it, it puzzled me in the sense that I don't think we'll ever get to that place where the car or maybe the, another machine will be so neutral or so devoid of any bias um, that we may rid ourselves of the ethical dilemmas with regards to our technologies. We may create it, we may try our best to maintain it, we may try our best to update the software and get it as close and as close for it to be as um, harmless to society. Um, but it does not mean any way that this is a road to perfection. It just, it just is us creating things that allows us to uh, maximize our I don't know, happiness, comfort, whatever you want to call it. Um, so 
I, I think when it comes to ethics with regards to AI, I think a discussion needs to happen, not just between the software engineers themselves, because they will be at the very front of those new things coming up, whether it be programming those new machines or updating even the software and all of those things. But in the same breath, we need to have a conversation with the people themselves that will come in contact with this technology without any uh, techn technical uh, like background. Like maybe a, a lambda person walking in the street or maybe um, in contact with the car does not have any idea. But it also means that we may, we may need to um, have the human element into the AI element. In that, may I mean that maybe a solution, I'm not sure if that's possible even, a solution maybe that the car has a, a, um, a an auto automated mode, but also have an emergency mode where someone can take the wheel and avoid this kind of situation. Maybe that could be an alternative. But also, it doesn't really solve the ethical dilemma of actually choosing uh, between person Y and person uh, X, but at least um, we, in some ways, we're taking away the blame from the machine, we're bringing it back to humans, but we're not, we're not going to avoid it. Because a lot of what morality and all of what the, the, the idea itself of a criminal act, it's because it's often directed to other people. It's got other people are involved, because we're never going to take that um, component out of the equation, whatever we come up with for being contemplated with it people and that automatically creates the, um, the the issue that may arise and eventually possibly the solution also that we that can come we can come up with um, we have yet to know if the autonomous vehicle will be um, completely effective and um, not in such um, position of like dramatic accidents and, and things like that but we also have to try before we even can settle on the issue um, and I think we are on the road of trying. Like people like Musk are really pushing um, for more of that. Um, hopefully, new minds come to the discussions. I don't. I. I. I, I I'm not. I have the. Um, how they call it? The Musk stands. <laughs> um, uh, I, I do not. I do not like the idea of like a dueling a certain person. It is true that he's doing great things, um, but it also means that it should inspire other people to do. It. Uh, to be as engaged and involved um, into into trying their best to, to, to get human to progress, especially when it comes to uh, cleaner energy and cleaner ways of transportation. Um, but yeah, those are my two cents um, on it, and as much as I can think about it. So a question that comes to my mind, so there's a lot of things you said there, right? So to pick on one thing would be quite hard, but there is this entire notion that I saw of you comparing technology or artificial intelligence specifically to human beings in a way where it's separate from us, where it comes down to who is, it, who are, who is to blame if that car makes the wrong decision. And should there be a human in a human side to the technology, can technology kind of mimic the human psyche, right? Uh, somewhere I see like that is the question. But again, like on one side, it, my mind tells me that isn't that already happening? Because the people who are going to code and, and uh, create these technologies, design these technologies, 
have their own biases, have their own implicit conditions in the way they design this. So there will be the bias of that person to some extent in that in that artificial intelligence. And uh, I mean, to call it artificial to me seems a little bit uh, ridiculous because I go by this uh, idea or I kind of believe in this idea where technology is a sort of mirror of ourselves. It is an extension of the mind. It is not something that is separate. It's not something that's artificial. It has its own consciousness in not a way which we human beings usually think of, but consciousness as in uh, uh, things that, or, or units that process information. So we are in a way creating these technologies that can store information, process information, make predictions, just like how the human mind does. And so it has its own sense of consciousness. And I, I think it's not fair to call it artificial, but I also see why it's called artificial to create that separation. But again, it comes, my question it comes back to, um, I guess, first to see whether you guys think they are something separate and that it, it, it should be something we should uh, maybe be scared of or, or is it something we can embrace and isn't the human sense already in these technologies? So, so just to clarify, you're wondering if we should embrace the embrace AI as it is, or we should be scared of it because of what can or what could happen um, with its progression. Is that right? Correct. And also the, the this idea of separating technology from us, like it is something that that is something else. And that's why this human fear that comes in, right? But the other perspective to see it as technology is an extension of the mind. It is not something separate that we should be scared of. Mm. So that separation, that is, uh, idea of separation as well, I'm, I'm asking you guys about. Interesting. I would say the first thing that comes to mind for me is some sort of fictional Terminator-esque movie, but with a twist, but where the Terminator itself is half human. And the it has some sort of empathic, or some sort of, some sort of part of itself that allows it to be autonomous on a robotic level, but also autonomous on a morality and um, consideration of ethics level. I, I've never really considered the idea of integrating the human element into AI. I think obviously there's good and bad, and something I haven't really considered. So probably take would need a lot more thought. But I think this is maybe like a more Taoist philosophical question. Like, do we embrace the change? Do we, do we look at the inertia and say, this is what we want? And I think there's always going to be two camps. Um, like in marketing, for example, there are those that are the early adopters, the laggards at the late adopters. So I think, I think it could go many ways. But I, I think that's, the, the, that's where my contribution laps on this question. I think it would probably require a bit more thought. Um, but it's very interesting. I would be one to embrace, but with careful consideration. <laughs> what about you, Aqua? I'm not sure we can really get to a point where there is an embrace or at least strike a balance or we do not fall on either extremes. Because um, the definition, if you want to really look up the definition of what artificial intelligence is, is kind of this sphere of uh, research and technology where the, the focus is to 
um, where you kind of use leverage data to be able to do certain tasks in a way that's better than what humans have been doing so far. Um, and doing so means that it's already out of the human ability. Because if you want to process, now it's, I think it's in the trillions or quadrillions of data bits, your brain can even, can't even get to the thousands or the millions. So there's already that discrepancy of what your ability is and what the AI is. So it means that if we want to talk about an embrace, it means that we have to create that AI and in some ways fit that again into our human scheme, whatever it is. So it could be, um, with, I think there is this, uh, yes, this idea of a, of a cyborg where basically it's, it's more of an extension of you. It could be like um, what we see with, um, with, unfortunately with amputees where they, they, they have their body, but they also have a mechanical um, um, piece that allows them to still go on and live their lives. Uh, so maybe it could be something along those lines, but I think we may decide to go that route, but it also means that we, it wouldn't be the human spiritual essence that we've known so far. It would be something else. We have to redefine it. We have to explore it. We have to, 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 to kind of understand where it goes because it, it, it means that because a lot of what the humans has been defined as, there is true the, the element of, uh, of our ability to think, our ability to be conscious, our ability to, to in some ways, um, master environment in such ways that are unprecedented. But to have AI come into the equation means to a certain extent that we're becoming more than human, superhuman, whatever we want to see it as. And, and to, 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 to grasp that idea of superhumanness, which, if you want to be honest, wouldn't be at rich for everyone. You'd probably be the one who can afford it, um, at least in the beginning stages. Um, it also may create a, a, a force so big between the have and the have nots, because we also have to think about inequality in technologies. Uh, the, the, from the innovators to the, um, uh, I don't remember if it was a study or paper that talked about early adopters, as you mentioned, and the fact that a lot of the early adopters are the people who can actually afford first to know about the technology and second to purchase at the initial stages. Usually it's quite expensive when we, the, the purchase comes up. So eventually all of the the 90% of the people who don't have access to it are the people, the less fortunate, usually the working class, whatever you want to call it in economic terms. So though I am, I look at it with my, uh, with all, I wish it was the case. I also look at it from, it could eventually lead into um, like a, such a big divide between uh, the people suddenly making the technology, but also the people profiting from it and the people who actually uh, be on the other end of like the accident. So maybe there is the group of people profiting, the engineers and everything, uh, making the car and selling it and, and whatnot. And then the people suffering in some ways from it uh, will be the people walking in the street, who never ask for anything of it um, and becoming, uh, the, getting the, the uh, how do they call it? The, the, the bad end of the stick. Um, I, I'm, but I'm also, I don't want to reject the idea that maybe we can find some kind of a balance where maybe it's not the like extreme of being the Terminator, uh, that would be cool. Uh, but maybe it is in bits and pieces, like what uh, Musk is doing with the Neuralink, 
like those augmenting aspects or we just augment certain things. Uh, it, like for instance, um, I'm really into like uh, technology for sports. So like maybe something that allows you to run faster. I don't know, uh, but like, is it possible to get to a point where those technologies are just allowing us to have the human experience 10x rather than quench all of what we know as the human experience into a mechanical automated thing? Uh, that, that's kind of my two thoughts. This, this interests me because I think this touches on maybe the second part of the question that we posed at the beginning um, that you were interested in. Aqua, which was how do we deal with imperfect creations? I think we've kind of talked a lot about imperfection and perfectionism as well as what could or could not happen, Terminator scenarios, Neuralink, you know, all the, the, the binaries. But I think something would be interesting to talk about more about on this, the second part of the question is um, it was imperfect creations as they gain greater power and dependency. So uh, something I'm quite interested in is where do you see the limits are for technology and its growth and how dependent we become on those technologies? I think I'll start by talking about the dependency for the limits I've yet to <laughs> get it. Um, but dependency, uh, dependency, I mean, Most technology we come up with have an element of dependency because we create them for a purpose for our use. It becomes part of our day-to-day -day in some ways. Um, from very proto-innovation like um, the, what did they call it? Like in prehistoric times, like knife-like rocks um, to what we have today as a typical example is the phone. Um, so we create things to use them. And as we use them, they become part of our daily life. Because they become part of our daily lives. They kind of like are in this web of things that allows us to live our lives in, this, in such rhythm that it becomes almost part of us. Um, and to me, it's, a quite, it's quite unfortunate that we get to a point where all these different technologies, um, though we get a lot of good from it, um, like, Today, we're able to communicate through our laptop using the internet. So all of those things um, play such a key role in allowing and uh, enabling a lot of good things in the world. But there's also something that I cannot um, forget about the thing that we're, because everything, I may come back to economics and that, everything has an opportunity cost. So as, as you're deciding to, to make your life in such, in such a framework, you're also giving up us time and resources to spend on other things that may also be more fulfilling or more um, uh, that could get you closer to, to that sense of um, happiness or joy or whatever. Maybe it could just be a simple walk into the forest rather than being playing a, uh, a games on your laptop. Though I'm not saying that games on your laptop don't, don't bring you the dopamine you need. I'm, I'm just, I'm just assuming. But uh, I think as we were working closer and closer to maybe that augmented, automated AI-like world, we also have to think about what we're leaving behind. 
because we're leaving things behind. We're leaving certain ways of looking at the world, certain ways to behave, certain ways to even interact. Like it, like you see that often now. It's 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 very much banal now, where you, you go and then you see most people in a like in a crowd, and no one is looking in each other's eyes. Everyone's on his phone. So like the, the, the even eye contact thing is becoming more and more rare. Like we have to think about all those those different things, and even with AI is becoming more. Um, I would say. Uh, prominent because AI will become that thing that you don't see but that's doing everything in the background so there's a sense where you're giving up and everything on that end so it's as if uh, our how they call it the back end of, uh, of the human human experience become programmed in such a way that your life follows that that that, that code of uh, I mean we have a code I'm not gonna lie we had a code social conditioning before that. So it's not like AI is gonna come and be the code. It's more like it's gonna be a different code. And we don't have control over that. We have to remember that from the people who make it, design it, to, to people who program it, it's not us. So it's it's a it's a minority of people who come with this idea, we decide to adopt it into our lives. But in a lot of what does the, the, the specific type of technology do or influence us come from the mind of those very few. Um, so there's also the aspect of um, I would say inequality where you partake in the consequence of the choice you didn't make. And with technology, it's even more of a stark difference because very few people are programmers, very few people are, are working in AI, and even very few people are working into the cyborg like things. So, like, it, we have to consider that. Uh, I, I try my best to never forget the fact that it's often, it's often that imbalance between the 1% and 99%, where the 99% live their lives, as you, as you stated, very dependent on those things. And the 1%, often if you really want to look into it, are not doing that. They're creating it and throwing it into the world and they themselves, they're doing something different. Because um, uh, I think it came from a documentary I watched about people working to Facebook or whatever, uh, that talked about the, 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 what they created with social media and how they regret it. Um, so it just reminded me of the fact that, true, we want to create, we want to innovate. Innovation is good. We have to keep going on that. Otherwise, I think our mind would just atrophy. Uh, but we, we also have to consider the fact that we're putting something that will come into contact with millions, now billions of people. Um, and we have to consider how this will impact it. So the imperfection comes, comes, comes right back up. Um, and, or at least maybe because we cannot part ways with the imperfection, you have to have a mechanism in place that minimizes those inconveniences and possible uh, negative uh, impact of those. Um, so, so for instance, for, for the, I think probably you should be considered one, like the nuclear bomb, that there is treaties around when you can use it at one point. So like, it's very strict because otherwise we'll all be dead because uh, people have the ego of <laughs> the entire basilica. Uh, but like, it's it's important to also consider those two things. We want to create it, we also, it's like we want the freedom of creation, but also want what keeps that freedom in check. So it's anti-freedom, but again, it's a discussion worth having. Um, yeah. I find that very interesting. So a few things you brought up, I'd like to like, 
that I'd like to pick on. So you spoke about tech and dependency, right? The dependency that we build on tech. And that leads to this sort of diminishing always where human connection is changing, where you said very correctly, I believe that in a crowd where you go uh, or human public places, most people are on their phones. So what is up with that? And um, the, the diminishing side of, of human connection uh, that technology replaces. And then the third thing that you spoke about is this idea of the 1% versus the idea of the 99%. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're talking about the power dynamics and how um, the 1% has the power and has the ability to influence that technology and uh, manipulate it, if you want to say, in a way where it is creating this stark difference where this 99% suffers. Is that what you're saying? And so based on that, I have a question. I don't. Don't turn this into a direct thing, though I am an advocate for it. <laughs> the, 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 the problem I'm, I'm noticing is, and I think it just has been part of history. Those who have the capital are the ones funding the research, are the ones funding the innovators. So eventually they'll be the one searching for the interest in whatever it may be through the form of money or whatever they're going to use. For instance, most of research into um, what they call immortality is through billionaires. So you and me are not even included into the conversation. So like, we have to consider that whatever innovation are brought up, publicized, shared, and dispatched, they're starting from that point, that point where it is a minority of people coming with, uh, pushing certain ideas. There may be an innovating idea somewhere, somehow, but it's not getting funded. It's not getting pushed. It's not getting uh, the, the publicity needs. Maybe, maybe the one thing that will help all of us. One big example, um, that, that that's kind of come, come to mind is the issue of insulin in, in America, for instance. Uh, it was found by some Canadian researchers, was it the 50s or 60s? Um, and they, instead of uh, putting a patent on it, they made it free. They, they sold the university for $1, the government took it and everything. But unfortunately, the Canadian government sold it to, to American companies who decided to patent it by making some kind of a modification and now the price here is through the roof. So like one instance of um, it, it started in a way that maybe was altruistic, started in a way that uh, the, the intent was to help people, but the repercussion now are a bit fuzzy. And when I say fuzzy in the sense that uh, the, the person who came up with the ideas uh, couldn't control it anymore because whatever you put into the world is not yours anymore. Like everything that's yours remains into your sphere whatever comes after uh, what, what you put into the world is, is out of your control. Um, but, but I think with regards to my comment with regards to the 199%, um, we have to keep in mind that um, it does create imbalances, it does create inequality, but it's also a framework that I don't think we're gonna entirely get out of if we were to remain within the capitalist structure. Um, so it means that we then want to imagine the socioeconomic paradigm we're in. And I don't think we're willing or ready to do that as of yet. But maybe the crisis might push us to the, to the, to the limit where we start rethinking things. Because eventually, the question of technology is also part of the socioeconomic question. Those two are linked, um, whether, whether we like it or not. Um, but that, that, that was, I think, 
what was behind my comment which was the one ninety nine percent. So this whole power dynamics that that exists even with technology as I hear it. I believe technology is the answer to some of these issues with the stark differences in power, where we now have this crypto anarchist movement of sort of decentralizing power through through blockchain technology. And now we, we see just cryptocurrency, which I believe is just the surface. What the possibility of this whole system of blockchain where everything can be decentralized, whether that's uh, social media or or social power that that we gain through these platforms where people have in, become influencers and get some power of some sort uh, to to like financial system, government system, data systems where we're able to decentralize this power. And so that being said, I, I again see the the bright side to these things, which is that the the more decentralized we get and the more cheaper technology becomes. Um, more and more people will be getting access to it through things like phones or, or other devices that become, uh, yeah, just more accessible, through which I believe uh, people will be able to in, get involved. There are systems that are created where the, the minorities have a say in the creation of the system. Everyone has the equal opportunity to, to contribute to the system. Then um, some of those inequalities might diminish. And based on that, I believe we can create a sort of system that allows people to come to balance where technology acts as a reflection of ourselves. If we are uh, ruining the homeostasis, then technology gives us that feedback in a way where we can align ourselves to come back to center. So I just see the optimistic side of that. Um, and I'd like to see that because it gives me that hope. But I'm curious to know what you guys think on, on this whole area. Of power and crypto. For us, the, um, and probably it is the most dominant, I think, um, philosophy among crypto stands, call it as you wish, um, is to go for a very anarchist approach to things where we want to tear everything down and bring it to the level of a decentralized system. Um, and I think that was also in the philosophy of uh, the, the creator, whoever that person is, we have yet to, to find them uh, behind uh, blockchain, um, the, the uh, Bitcoin and blockchain technology. I am neither optimistic nor pessimistic on the matter. Um, I am more of the centralized system or I want to call them cute. That's being a little more, I don't think it's the right way to say it. It's more... We've tried it, but humans tend to have fun with it for a couple of um, months or years and then come back to a centralized system. Because, in my opinion, we have a longing for a central power that we can refer to as the one that will protect us, that will um, be providing us with whatever we need. Having the decentralized system means that no one is responsible, no one is accountable. It's all a matter of we all should be intentionally good or, or fine with the fact that everyone else is on the same lay, uh, playing field. Um, and the, I think the, but I may be wrong because again, I'm basing everything on what history has taught us. The future could be very different. Um, so I'm coming on the, on the uh, mind of trying my best to analyze how humans have been behaving over time. Is that likely that the central system will work? I think in small, pockets, it could, 
uh, but if you want to make it to the level of a nation or the world, a decentralized system also means, in my mind, that you need to have some kind of centrality of values where everything else is done in a specific objective where everyone is kind of the same playing field. But if you look at geopolitics today, we're very far from any kind of centrality of values. You may have certain pockets, what you call it, the, the Western hemisphere or the, the Southern ones or the Eastern ones. But unfortunately, there's so many clashes that having a decentralized system, I think, would lead us more into the, the violence that we may associate with anarchy. I have a more tempered approach to anarchy. I think it's more an idealism more than anything. Um, and, and I think blockchain in that way, I think blockchain is a precursor for something else. I've yet to see what the thing will be. Um, but I don't think it would be the big solvent, of, uh, a big solution for um, everything we find troubling with regards to hierarchies and systems of power and inequality and everything. I think today I just had a, um, it might be influenced by what uh, I listened to today earlier from a uh, analysis on the French philosopher called Laboissy, which basically wrote that all systems of power rely on the fact that there is a segment of people being willing to give up power. So in as much as we construct a lot of the idea of power on the oppressor, it's actually on the oppressed who is making the choice, be it implicit or explicit, to give up that power, be it because they've been conditioned to obey and to, to resolve themselves into that condition, um, or they've never even conceptualized of a different life than the life of the subjugated and the subjugator. Um, so I think it may be a solution like this could happen if there is some kind of global um, awareness of the fact that we all have in some way, shape or form, potential and power in our own individual person and coming together gets to a point where um, we, can, we can tear down the hierarchy and bring it to the base level. Can we get that to happen? Not in my lifetime, that's for sure. Um, but uh, I, I think because there is more and more ways for connection between different people of different places and conversations um, are happening in different ways, I think maybe we can get um, some kind of um, other cons, um, a, a, like people waking up to the fact that they could empower themselves without getting to a uh, getting stuck in the idea of a struggle against an oppressor. It's rather an affirmation of your own being and grasping that and being able to um, um, being able to to leverage your willpower in whatever direction it may be. Um, and and I think because it, it, it's been Happening for a few, I think it could happen for the many. Um, but whatever may cause it, I have yet to to see at the horizon. But I think again, it comes back to Steven Pinker idea of progress. It may actually go into the direction 
and we may not be able to see it as of now because we're in 2020, uh, beginning of 21st century, there's so much to come, mm. um, but hopefully. Yes. Yeah. So one idea that I wanted to pick on quickly, uh, I heard this tension between um, centrality versus decentrality, this notion of there being an oppressor and a suppressor, this one that is brings the discipline kind of is the leader tells people what to do, has the power versus the surrender who says I give in uh, for this, right? So there's this tension bet- or this duality that I see uh, between centralized versus decentralized or discipline versus surrender or uh, the need for singularity versus communion and uh, I find it interesting how these have, this has been like a theme that has been like, at least in my mind, going around back and forth. Um, so I do believe what you're saying is true, Aqua, where we have this need for uh, a discipline, a, a sort of thing that brings us together. And that's where religion also so, sort of comes in, right? Like you brought up at the beginning, where we need something to rely upon, where we realize that life is somewhat meaningless and it's really absurd and there's a lot of chaos. And what is the meaning of the, our existence? We rely upon those, uh, the discipline, the the sort of person who tells us what it is, right? And religion has given that to us. But moving forward, I see somewhere technology could be that um, vessel where I, I am also optimistic in, in the ways you are, where, where humans are able to have this sort of uh, awakening for lack of a better word, that we can be empowered and, and tools like philosophy can be used, uh, infused with technology to to empower the self and to find new ways to um, address the existential dread and and create systems that empower individuals where centrality and decentrality could coexist. Now that might just be a very idealistic take, but uh, those are some of my thoughts. Yeah, I I wanted to cut in. I know you're probably still processing that aqua as I am now. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch upon as we come to the end of the conversation is something that we try to, to, to dive into is that I, I think we all have these visions that we have that we come up with, whether they're perfect or imperfect, perfect or imperfect, I think is besides the point. What I think Shasha and I would be really interested to hear is, um, I think you, I, I heard some sort of heterarchical solution in mind that you had um but i wanted to see what do, do you have a specific vision for in terms of if you could construct a utopia or if you can construct one idea that you had that you'd been thinking about what would that idea be um and this can be idealistic can be unrealistic it can be anything you want but it be, can be something that you've thought about that you would you've had put thought into I think I have maybe two to be as concise as I possibly can. Uh, from the macro level, um, an ideal would be, I think, an environment where everyone gets the chance to. to experience the world and grow, grow, kind of 
kind of as a, as a basis where they can go on and make whatever they want to make into the world. And the basis may be a mash of different things like secured, you, you have a kind of free education, free um, healthcare, all those things. So very much on the, like a, like a social threshold, no, not threshold, um, floor for, yeah. for you to, to go from. So that's kind of the macro level. I wish we could get to a world where any child that is born is getting to this world. Um, people are happy to have it because there's no stress around whether the child is coming. Because event, unfortunately, that is the case in many um, um, situations where the child actually, instead of bringing joy, is bringing a lot of tensions because of the fact that we have to care for the child. And, but all of this question should be answered in my eyes if we want to look at a society that actually is fitted for human prospering um, and being in a space that actually facilitate that. On the micro level though, which I've, I'm more interested in, I think is as more room for actual influence from a one-to-one -one perspective. I think it's pushing people to be able to, I mean, pushing people rather, being, and, and I, I try my best to make it something I can do. Because I, I don't think, as much as I want to think of utopia, I also want to think about where exactly I'm fitting, I'm fitting into this. Is it possible for me to contribute to whatever I'm hoping for in the future? I think, I hope where everyone is in some ways a, a, a source of, a source of challenge and growth to one another. Where, for instance, you and I are conversing and I'm learning and you're learning and every conversation and every contact, every interaction is fruitful in whatever form it is. Whether it be, it's taking a new, a new idea, it's allowing you to think in different ways. Because in as much as we want to think about the, the material world, whatever we're creating, what technology, at the end of the day, all you have from birth till death is the self. So if you cannot get the self to go through a process of actual maturation, in my eyes, you failed. Um, and that may mean different things. And, I, and there's, a, there's a quote I like in French, unfortunately, I'm not sure I can translate it perfectly, but basically it says that you can, um, you can get old, but you cannot really mature uh, if you're not involved into the process. So getting old is something you can control. Time will take you up until the time of your death. Um, so I, I think there is, there is a sense of, in my eyes at least, that there's a lack of spaces and actual um, things that, that facilitate that maturation. And it's, it's very, if in our country nation, we feel it, we sense it, we see it, uh, where it's all about the appearance, it's all about the Instagram, it's all about the likes, and there's very little work done into the inner world. And I'm more interested into the inner world and unfortunately, that is not the moment. <laughs> That's not what the moment calls for. Maybe during the times of uh, the Renaissance, that was the entire emo, but <laughs> as of now, it's not. Um, and I hope we could go through a second Renaissance. It will be called something else. Um, but it will be some, some time, maybe in the future, maybe near long future, uh, where everyone is taking a step back and trying to work on themselves. And working on themselves may, think, may mean different things for different people. But I think when I see them, and I see even the 
and from someone else, I have a deep sense of trying to know what you're doing, where you are. So that sense of intrigue into every human being is only possible if every human being is on that path. And for that to happen, you have in some ways your part to play, whether it be by conversing, where you start getting that conversation going, or uh, when you're with your friend, making such a way that the conversation is in some way fruitful. Um, those little things, it doesn't need to be grandiose. And I hate the idea of trying to shoot for the grandiose. It's all in the bits and pieces that build up and get the momentum going. Um, so I think that's as close as I could get to the utopic um, layout. Um, but yeah. This, um, the, the quote that you mentioned, it resonates very strongly with me because it, it, there's a quote by um, a Roman senator 2,000 years ago. You may be familiar with him called Seneca, um, Seneca the Younger. Oh, and um, he has an essay called On the Shortness of Life. And there was a quote he mentions that is exactly along the lines. And, he, and he, I'll, I'll read it. I'll recite it very quickly. He says, so you must not think a person has lived long because he has white hair and wrinkles. He has not lived long, just existed long. And um, I think this is like a perfect encapsulation or a very close uh, parallel to the idea you're talking about that for experience to be meaningful, it needs to be in some sense intellectually stimulating and in the pursuit of growth and the pursuit of something, some ideas that are bigger than us, things that go beyond us. And I think um, whether they are on a macro level, utopia on like a unrealistic or whether that comes down to the individual I think either of those things, the, the goal is to progress forward and always move a couple of steps forward, even if we never reach it. But yeah, that was just a quick comment I wanted to say. And so, um, yeah, this is this is very interesting. And I there were there was one big question that came to me, but I think we I can just say it and we can keep it for another conversation. Uh, but this idea that you spoke about working on the inner self and whatever that may mean, right? There's an inner world that lies inside that we we also have. That's the only thing we have, like you said. What role does technology play? Technology being the, the extension of what we've taken in into the outer world, right? Into the material world. How can that kind of uh, synchronize with the inner world or become... Uh, a sort of tool that allows the growth or or allows us to improve our inner world and, and reconnect with the self or whatever you want to call it. Um, this is a question that I'm quite interested in and have been thinking about. Uh, but I think we can like maybe try to have a more uh, a sort of community conversation on this because there's so many ways uh, or ideas one could come up with to, to come uh, like come up with innovative ideas that that might enable this. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 really um, happy to hear such such uh, all all the thoughts you had and and uh, the conclusions sort of that we have arrived at and the idea, the fact that we have another question to ponder upon and discuss again because like you said these spaces are what enable these conversations where ideas can kind of merge and and come up with something new uh, and so. Yeah, that's all I had to say. So, Aqua, do you have any last words uh, before we end? Mm, last words. I mean, I, I think a closing note would be whatever we make, think, or create, a reflection of whatever is inside. 
So if we take of whatever is inside, whatever we may create, make, or, or, or put into the world, will affect that inside. So we have to take care of that. And taking care of that may mean different things. But I hope in some ways I'm doing what they call a call to action. That we have to listen. In some ways, do the opposite of what the narcissist is doing, which is falling deeply in love with the self. But no, in the sense of actually caring for the self. And, and that care, um, I think it's something we have to nurture. It takes time to, um, I hope, um, to be my, my closing love. Beautiful. I think we're gonna wrap that up there then. Thank you so much.